and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. And today we're talking about both the book and the Netflix adaptation of Harlan Coben's The Stranger, as well as the new DC film Birds of Prey. So Carrie, you read the novel of The Stranger, I watched the Netflix show, and we did not do the reverse. So we're coming at this from two different types of media, but it's the same thing. Yes, I'm very interested to see where they were similar and where they were different. Let's dive right in. Do you want me to start with the novel? Yes, please. It's by Harlan Coben, and he's also had some other books adapted into Netflix series. He had The Five, which I watched and enjoyed, and then one called Safe, which I think you watched. Yes. So he he writes thrillers. This book came out in 2015, and it's about a man named Adam Price, who lives in New Jersey with his wife, Corinne, and their two boys, Thomas and Ryan. So he kind of has a picture-perfect life, and he's all happy and everything. And then one day, he's at a lacrosse event. The adults in the community are picking their teams, and a stranger approaches Adam and says that two years ago, when his wife was pregnant, she actually faked that pregnancy. And Adam is just like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) So that kind of kicks off a series of events where he, first, he doesn't really know what to do with the information. And then eventually he does confront Corinne and she admits that it's true. And there were reasons behind it. And then she kind of disappears and she sends him a text that says, I need some space. I'll be gone for a few days. Take care of the kids. Um, So he tries to give her space. But he's also worried about her. He can't go to the police, but he thinks they just won't do anything because of the text that said she needs some space. So he kind of starts looking into things and gets enveloped in a lot of weird stuff. (laughs) The book is mostly from his point of view, but it also follows the stranger who we find out is doing this sort of thing to other people. He has a partner named Ingrid, who becomes important later. But he and Ingrid and some other people have this operation where they dig up dirt about people, and then they go and blackmail them. So I think the reader, the the thing about this, I I told you, is that I read it quickly. So sometimes it's hard to keep things straight. But I think the reader is is meant to note that the stranger didn't ask Adam for money. Whereas the stranger's whole modus operandi is blackmailing people. So that is meant to stick out. But Adam doesn't know that. Adam doesn't know what's going on with the stranger. And a bunch of different threads kind of get added and woven in. But I think the important thing is that Adam really starts to clash with the rest of the community. There is a big kind of like wealthy lacrosse community and Corinne was always heavily involved in lacrosse and in school and things. So, oh, and she's also a teacher. And she was on the lacrosse board and the rest of the lacrosse board comes to Adam's house and is like, hey, Corinne was stealing money from us. I forget what that's called when you're like skimming off the top. Embezzlement? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I knew it began with an E. But <laughs> so she was embezzling money from the lacrosse group. And Adam is again thrown for a loop and he's just like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. Everyone's telling me this stuff about my wife and none of it seems 
in character. None of it seems real. So, but then again, my wife is missing. So who knows what's real? Um, so a lot of stuff happens and I don't want to spoil anything, mm-hmm. but it is a thriller and you're meant to kind of stick with Adam as he unravels everything. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know how to end that. <laughs> <laughs> did you like it? I, I did. It kept me reading. It's, it's about 450 pages and I read it in a couple days. Wow. Yeah. And I don't say this to belittle thrillers or anything, but it was very easy to read. Mm. And I, I really did need something that was kind of easy to digest. And I just mean that in the way that because I read a lot of fantasy and sci-fi, mm-hmm. you have to learn all the stuff about a new, a whole new world. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times with spec fic, you're spending the first couple chapters just figuring everything out. Whereas this and you know other contemporary genres are set in the real world, so it's less. There's there's no acclimation time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're just able to kind of dive in, and the inciting incident happens in chapter one, so it's just. It's right off the bat. It's like, what is going on? I got to figure it out. Yeah. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Cool. So tell me about the series. Does it sound similar? Did they change things? Sounds very similar, but there's some interesting key differences, but they're not, I don't know that they're actually that fundamental to the story itself. The interesting thing about these um, adaptations that Harlan Coben has been getting done with his work is that he's an American author. His books are all set in the US, but these Netflix adaptations are all done for originally British television. And so this series was filmed in Manchester and takes place in Manchester and its suburbs. Like watching it and not having read the novel, I was like, oh, of course, this is just, you know, this nice little short British series. It's only eight episodes long. It debuted on Netflix in January, so it hasn't been out too, too long. And the main differences that I'm picking up on between this and the the book is that instead of a lacrosse club, it's a football club, it's soccer. So, okay. <laughs> and so they keep talking about the football club, but they show kids playing what we call in the US soccer is <laughs> football. Let me ask you this, because I think I picked up on this. And I'm just curious about this change. The stranger in the book. Mm-hmm. It's a man? Yes. Okay. So the stranger in the TV series is a woman. Okay, I was wondering about that. Because the copy I have um, is mass market paperback. And it's the movie tie in edition from 2020. Yeah. And there is a woman on the cover. And I was just like, I don't know who this is. <laughs> yeah, that's the stranger. So that's interesting. Hmm. I don't know why they did that. But let me tell you a little bit about the casting here. So you can kind of picture if you do or don't decide to watch the, the TV show. So Adam Price, um, the main character is played by Richard Armitage, who I do like him. Yes. Yeah, so listeners may know him from his most notable role is as Thorin Oakenshield in the trilogy of The Hobbit. He's the main dwarf um, in The Hobbit. That's so funny because that's not the thing I remember him for. <laughs> oh, what is it? What do you remember him for? Well, recently he was in Ocean's 8. Oh, okay. Yeah. And a long time ago he was in a Robin Hood series. Yes, yes. Yeah. But for some reason I just always forget that he was in The Hobbit. He was in The Hobbit. That's where I first remember seeing him. Yeah, he was Guy of Gisborne on Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been watching a little bit off and on. I've been watching the Netflix animated show Castlevania. And he voices um, Trevor Belmont, who is one of the um, characters in that. And he does a really good job as that character. Okay, cool. But yeah, he always also kind of looks different. He's a little bit of a chameleon. Um, so he looks, if you only know him from The Hobbit, 
Uh, he looks really different here, but he's fabulous. He does such a good job. He has a lot of gravitas, but he's also kind of like in the moments before all the bad stuff happens in the in the so-called like happy family moments, he's really likable and, and seems like a good character. And Corinne, his wife, is played by Dervla Kerwin, who is an Irish actress. I'm not super familiar with her, but um, listeners may know her from, she was in a show called Bally Kiss Angel. And then they do have the two kids who are still named Patrick and Ryan. Thomas. Or Thomas and Ryan, sorry. But like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> There's another character named Patrick. But the kids, I don't know if this is true in the novel, the kids and some of their friends have a very bizarre subplot that I found very compelling and weird. And I was very like, it was its own mystery. Hmm. That does not sound familiar. Okay. There wasn't a ton about the kids. Okay. The most was that Thomas, Adam was shown to be pretty not great at technology. So Thomas would show him stuff about his phone. Like, oh, our mom had this tracking app on our phone. So here's how you could track mom. Yeah, they do that in the in the show too. But yeah, the especially the young, the older son has a whole subplot with some of his friends and this mysterious thing that happens at a party. And I was just as intrigued by that as I was the main mystery of Corinne going missing. The Stranger is played by Hannah John Kamen, who listeners may know her. She was in Game of Thrones. She was in the sci-fi series Killjoys. And she played... She was in Game of Thrones. Yes, she was Ornella in Game of Thrones. She was a Fnail Xander in Ready Player One. And she was Ava Starr, who's also the ghost in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, she's been in some very cool stuff. Yes, she's very cool. I actually did not love her in Ant-Man and the Wasp, but maybe that's just because of the character. I really liked her in The Stranger. She was, even though she's this mysterious character and she's causing a lot of chaos in tons of people's lives, she came off weirdly likable. And I was okay. totally on her side <laughs> through a lot of this. That's that's really interesting because in the book, you don't get a ton about The Stranger. Oh, you get yeah. a couple chapters from his point of view, and it is a man. Yeah. But I never felt like I was supposed to be on his side or anything. Mm. That's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. And another another thing I'm, I'm curious about whether this, there's two other subplots other than the kids, which I don't want to say too much about the kids because it is very wild. There's a detective sergeant, Joanna Griffin, who is played by Siobhan Finneran, who she's an English actress. Audiences may know her mostly from being on Downton Abbey. And on Downton Abbey, she was Mrs. O'Brien. Mrs. O'Brien. And Mrs. O'Brien was a trip. She was crazy. (laughs) She was so like quasi evil and kind of dowdy and strange looking. In this show, she looks like much more her age and very pretty and like pulled together and very capable and not evil at all. (laughs) And so that was fun to get to see her in a totally different kind of role. Her character, this um, DS Joanna Griffin, is best friends with this character named Heidi Doyle, played by Jennifer Saunders from Absolutely Fabulous. She was Adina on Absolutely Fabulous, which was a very broad, wild character. And here, this character, Heidi, is she owns a cafe. She's a mom. She's a wife. She's very like down to earth and normal. And so it was hilarious to me seeing these two women who played such crazy different kinds of characters play these pretty chill normal people and (laughs) to have them be best friends and it's a very realistic like female friendship relationship of women in their like late 40s early 50s okay that was really cool but there's a subplot there with Heidi also getting blackmailed by the stranger and Joanna kind of trying to help solve some things that happen with that 
there's another subplot too, because Richard is, or Adam Price is a lawyer. And he has a former neighbor, Martin Killeen, who's played by Stephen Ray, who he's a veteran, veteran Irish character actor who's been in tons and tons of stuff. But he's a retired cop, and he doesn't want to move out of his house, which there's a developer trying to put condos in. And Martin is like adamant, I don't want to move. I don't want to move. And he's just kind of being really, really stubborn about it. And Adam is representing him in court, trying to get him to not move. And then it comes out that there's this crazy reason why he doesn't want to move. And it's just bizarre. Oh, okay. Well, both of those were in the book. I had the feeling that they weren't given as much page time as they were in the series. Heidi had a few chapters and Joanna does show up. Mm-hmm. They're really not in it that much, and I was a little bit disappointed. I, I expected Joanna to be a bigger character. And there is that little subplot with the house, but it sounds like the show took it a bit further. Yeah, the show took it a lot further. There's another character who's played by Anthony Stewart Head, who re- listeners may know him from playing Giles on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he's kind of this mysterious figure um, who becomes more and more embroiled in it, too. Yeah, it sounds like they really flesh this out more for the TV show, which is really funny to me because normally it's the other way around, right? You've got the Mm -hmm. book having all this rich, rich tapestry of information that they can't cram into the short term of the TV show, but it sounds like they really pumped up some of the roles for the show. Yeah, it does. Yeah, but I really, really enjoyed it. I did think in, in retrospect, it could have been a tiny bit shorter. There were some episodes that got a little draggy and kind of bogged down and I remember that being the case with Safe, which was another of these uh, Coben adaptations, where I kind of felt by the midpoint of that, that, ugh, okay, you could have cut this episode. That wasn't really that <laughs> informative. But I think it was not as slow as Safe. I think they're getting better. I started watching The Five, and I've, I'm not sure if I'm going to finish it. I got through <gasps> one and a half episodes. Yeah, and I kind of, I'm finding it a little bit boring. I think I might, in, in that okay. case, just read the book. Yeah, that's that's fair, I guess. Yeah, I think as these as these adaptations go on, if he makes if they partner and make more of these, maybe they're just kind of getting better at it, or maybe they're choosing some of his books that are slightly better. Well, the other thing is, I'm looking it up, and the five was ten episodes. Oh, so maybe they just they were like, hey, you know what, ten is too much. Let's cut it down. How much? How many episodes was safe? Do you remember? I feel like it was it was eight. Okay. Yeah, I think they're just getting better at, at tightening these up a little bit. And Coben is acting as executive producer on all these. So I feel like he's either the actual showrunner or at least one of them and not merely acting as the person who wrote the source material. He's written some of the scripts and stuff. So okay, he has a little bit bigger hand in this than the average author getting his work adapted. And I just think it's neat that they're transforming these culturally. And yet there it sounds like there's some changes, but there's not all that many changes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's neat that you can kind of, I don't know what that says, if if people living in middle class suburban life with a lot of secrets and drama are kind of the same in all English speaking areas of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. When I watched The Five, I don't think I realized that it was based on an American story. But I, nothing like stuck out to me that that was so British that I wouldn't understand it. Right. But I don't know. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So this does make me want to go back and read the book of this one, because this definitely has been my favorite of these series. And it sounds like 
you might enjoy some of the changes they made for the TV show. So I think you should check it out. Yeah, I think I will, actually. I almost did last night, but I wanted to keep myself only on on the book. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that I feel like it's likely that all of these readers who have enjoyed the book would think that the adaptation was pretty good. And that's a nice, refreshing thing. Too often, there's a little bit of a disconnect if you end up liking the book of something and seeing the movie. The last time I remember feeling like a film adaptation of something that I read and liked was really faithful in positive ways was Gone Girl. Okay. Yeah, that was very, very faithful. It's very faithful. And I think that it may actually be easier to adapt thrillers to the screen than a lot of other genres. That's a good point. Because it's contemporary, because you have a very tight plot. And I think they changed the end just barely enough that it would still be fresh for someone who'd already read the book, but but it was still very faithful. So yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Now I'm just thinking about that point about thrillers being more easily translatable. Huh. Okay. I mean, prove us wrong, listeners. Tell us what your favorite <laughs> book to film adaptations are. We have colleagues who have a whole podcast about that. So perhaps we will have them on to discuss this sometime. The podcast is called Ink to Film. And it's a great podcast. I totally recommend it. But yeah, that's kind of their their main purview on that is discussing adaptations from books. So we'll have to ask them about this. But as you were saying that, I think my opinion personally is that it's easy to adapt a thriller faithfully, Mm -hmm. especially in terms of plot, uh, because I've seen some adaptations that are not super faithful to the book. And I think they're still good adaptations but i know other people don't so there's a lot of a lot of personal opinion involved in adapting novels to movies so yes absolutely cool so kind of segueing into another sort of adaptation but more from the comics universe than a single comic book story uh we both recently saw birds of prey yes so what did you think about it i loved it i thought it was super wild (laughs) fun and other than it being Okay, it is super violent. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it needed to be as violent as it was. But other than that, I had no negative critiques. I thought it was just one of the most fun comic book films I've seen. I thought it was very, you know, female centric in positive ways. And it was funny and suspenseful. And just I just loved it. Yeah. Great. I agree. I was a little bit wary going into it because I don't like violence that much Mm -hmm. like there are some violent movies that i enjoy like mad max but fury road specifically but i still close my eyes at the end (laughs) (laughs) when they defeat (laughs) the bad guy yeah so i going into this one i wasn't sure exactly how violent it was and if i would be able to handle it and there are a few moments that were kind of on the cusp for me Mm -hmm. but overall I didn't close my eyes that much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and a lot of the violence, not, I mean, there are some scenes that I was very, ooh, yeah, and I had to look away, but a lot of the fight scenes seem a lot more cartoony violence. They're not as like blood and gore or anything. It's just kind of people beating each other up, which, you know, is again, very comic booky and cartoony and, and whatnot. But there are a couple of weirdly visceral scenes of like torture that I was very bothered by but they're not they don't linger on them so it's yeah yeah I actually found the ensemble fight scenes to be much more palatable than than a couple individual scenes like the torture one and there's one in the club that Harley um 
does <laughs> that I won't spoil. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that a little bit because you said they it doesn't they don't linger mm-hmm. on on the torture and stuff, and I, I feel like that is very much in keeping with the theme of this of this movie because there's really no male gaze in it. That includes like gazing at women, but also like kind of the violent gaze, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if that's like a thing. But uh. <laughs> I think so. I don't know if it's like an actual film theory thing. Like the male gaze in film theory is a real like scholarly phenomenon invented by film theorist Laura Mulvey in the 70s to describe how women are not only objectified in film, but they're sort of segmented and we're asked to look at them as body parts and not whole people. And the whole point being that film as a medium is designed for a male viewership, presumably a straight male viewership. And so women are simply there to be ogled visually and consumed visually rather than to be something that a female viewer would identify with. And I think that that was the purpose of one perhaps subconscious purpose of a movie like this is that it is meant for female viewers to identify with characters that they see. Yeah. And I think it's important that we note that Margot Robbie produced this um, and she had a big hand in getting it to the screen. And it was written by Christina Hodson and directed by Kathy Yan. So it's not only about women, but there are a lot of women behind the scenes. And I think that that really contributed to the fact that you and I went in and just had a really good time with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Why don't you tell us a little bit about like the cast is really good. Mm-hmm. So Margot Robbie plays Harley Quinn. She was Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad from a couple years ago, which is a universally panned movie. <laughs> and I think one of the best the best ways to realize that this film is not super male gazy is to look at how they styled her in Suicide Squad and how they styled her in this movie. Because mm-hmm. she's Harley Quinn, so if you're if you're not super familiar with comics, she started out as Harleen Quinzel and was a psychologist, and she treated patients in Arkham Asylum and kind of got manipulated and, air quotes, fell in love with the Joker, and then because of that, she kind of transformed into Harley Quinn. And now she's still very smart, but she's also very unique. So she's got kind of this loud sense of style. And I thought they showcased that really well in this movie. And then you've got Rosie Perez, who plays Renee Montoya, who is a cop in Gotham. There's Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who plays Helena Bertinelli, aka the Huntress. And I thought her character would be in it a little bit more, but I liked what they did with her. Mm-hmm. And she was kind of strangely funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, there's Journey Smollett-Bell, who plays Dinah Lance, aka Black Canary, who I thought was wonderful. I think she was one of my favorite parts of the movie. And then there's Ella J. Basco, who plays Cassandra Kane. In this movie, she's just a pickpocket, but in the greater DC lore, she becomes Batgirl later on. So kind of curious to see if they move forward with that and then the big baddie is ewan mcgregor who plays roman sionis and i thought he was kind of wild and strange in this he was almost portrayed in i don't know what if he was supposed to be gay or if there was some kind of like non-binary gender identity but he definitely was not playing it like a quote-unquote heteronormative cisgender male character Oh, see, I didn't really get that. I, I, there were moments where he was very, like, I don't know, he just, he was very glamorous in certain ways. 
he took a lot of joy in humiliating women repeatedly, which Mm -hmm. that was creepy. But I also felt like in some of that, it was not sexualized. It was sort of like he was mad at them for other reasons. So it was a little bit strange. Okay. If he was supposed to be read as a queer character, it didn't offend me thinking that, that that was true. But it was a strange subtext that I was just sort of picking up on. Interesting. Yeah, I did not get that at all. <laughs> I mean, he is a little bit over the top. And uh, he chews the scenery a little bit. <laughs> but for me, that was kind of all about, well, I interpreted it as just kind of maleness and the patriarchy in general. Like, he's mad at women for no no good reason. The one scene that stuck out to me was, so he's after this diamond. And we could get into the plot later. But his henchman comes and tells him they've lost the diamond and he just blows up. And for me, it was kind of the epitome of like that male anger that gets paid attention to, but is really just kind of a temper tantrum. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it was more that he was portrayed, his anger was portrayed as a uh, immaturity. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was coming off as being like, I don't know. It just was, he was strange. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm still not sure. I love Ewan McGregor as an actor. He's actually, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is his partner in real life, and they've been in other things together. And it was interesting that they barely had any actual screen time together in this. So that I thought was kind of funny. But he, yeah, he's he's got a lot of range as an actor. So I had to think some of that had to have been a choice. Because his character is the Black Mask, and he is a DC villain. Um, so he's been in other media, but um, I don't think he's been portrayed quite this way. So, Yeah. Yeah, I'm not super I'm not super familiar with Black Mask as a character, so I can't speak to that. Well, I thought it was also interesting that there were no male like love interest characters for anybody. Mhm. Like Harley is on the heels of a breakup with the Joker, and they never actually show the Joker, and there are hints of some kind of like I don't know, the Black Canary has like admirers and stuff and Harley is shown kind of flirting with men and also getting into a situation where she almost kind of gets attacked and Black Canary saves her, which was pretty telling. Um, but there are there's no like side guy who's sort of supposed to be one of their potential love interests. And so I thought that was really refreshing. Same. Yeah, it was just basically two hours of, of women having some violent fun. Yeah. <laughs> taking out their own frustration on men and men being violent and angry about it, but not winning. So yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the plot is real thin and kind of non-existent, but there's a lot. I've seen this movie compared a lot to the Daredevil films, which are also very meta. And there's a lot of speaking directly to the, like breaking the fourth wall and stuff. And Harley does that. And she's not a reliable narrator. And she's kind of acknowledges that she's insane and in a lot of ways and uh but I also thought it was cool that she repeatedly was telling people I have a PhD (laughs) like she was she's no dummy yeah I thought that was great and I also loved the music I don't know if you've listened to the soundtrack at all but it's great it's very empowerment music and very lots of like pop rap stuff and very female artist centric and yeah I haven't listened to the soundtrack just on its own but the last song that stuck out to me was Woman by Kesha played it in the last scene. And that's a great song in itself. And I thought it really fit really well with the movie. So I was excited to hear that. I was like, Oh, I know the song. <laughs> but I thought it was great. And it's had a lot of like, it hasn't done as well as some people 
thought it should. But there's also been articles about how for its budget, it did really well. And Mm -hmm. like, I feel like some of the criticism of its lack of monster success is due to some kind of sexism with it being a female-led superhero movie. For sure. And it's an anti-heroine. So it's kind of like, I mean, it's a little bit of a niche film, and yet it did not insignificantly box office numbers compared to budget. So I don't know. It's R-rated. Like, it's an R-rated anti-heroine comic book movie that's kind of small budget. So I feel like it did great considering all of those things, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it made back its budget, I'm pretty sure. It did, yeah. I mean, it's not going to be Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is a little bit more, I think, wide-reaching in its audience because Wonder Woman is a clear heroic character she's never been a villain she's not in that gray state that harley lives in and her appeal kind of crosses gender lines a little bit more yeah i mean she's more palatable to men because either steve trevor so there's a love story and then you know i love wonder woman but she's basically in this little skirt (laughs) (laughs) i mean she's not harley quinn yeah your point too about her styling in Suicide Squad versus this, she's still kind of objectified in this, but it's not in the same way and not to the same extent. It's a little bit more like like a punk style and she seems to be participating in her own semi-objectification. But she notably, there's a scene at the beginning where she cuts her hair a little bit shorter as a means of making herself feel more independent after breaking up with the Joker. And I feel like that is a little bit of a kind of owning her own image, like she's making a decision about her appearance. And her clothes are not quite as revealing, for sure. So yeah, I thought that was a moment of empowering. And not that you can't look cute and be a feminist, but I think that some of the points that this film makes is that we don't need to have a love story. We don't need to have a lot of male characters, because there's almost no male characters. And we don't need to cater to a male audience. For sure. And I just want to point out that the budget was $84 million, and worldwide it's made $188 million. So Then that's a success, in my opinion. Same. Now, did you see Suicide Squad? I did. I saw it when it came out, and I really don't remember a ton about it. Okay. I never saw it. I recently was hanging out with some friends and said I was interested in Birds of Prey, and then I asked one friend you saw Suicide Squad, didn't you? And she immediately was like, it was the worst thing I've ever seen. And she almost would not talk about it. <laughs> like, as if, as if, I'm not wow. sure, but as if watching that was like, a, it scarred her. So I don't know. I actually want to go back and watch it again, because I have this weird thing where if a lot of people are like, I don't like a thing, I'm like, I'm gonna love that. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> and when it came out, like, I, I knew a lot of people like oh this is a terrible movie and i went to see it with my friend who she has pretty high standards for movies and she hated it and i was like well i kind of thought it was fun (laughs) i had wanted to see it when it came out but i had actually started reading the suicide squad comic books when the new 52 reboot happened a few years ago and i liked it okay i just kind of fell off the wagon of it i just got out of the habit of reading new comics for a while And so when the movie came out, I was like, oh, I can finally, because it was kind of based on more of that version of the story. And then before I had a chance to get to it, everybody was just saying how bad it was. And like, now there's a new, this is so weird, because there's going to be a sequel that is also a soft reboot. Okay. (laughs) But but it's still the same cast. And so Margot Robbie is going to be Harley in it again. And they're filming it like right now. And I just feel like, oh, that's weird. 
that's a strange way to go. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see how that turns out, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. I do want to mention, just on a side note, and I'm not going to belabor this, and this is one of those things that is going to show my age a little bit, but I watched the Birds of Prey TV show on the WB, <laughs> which was on for 13 episodes in 2002-2003. A whole 13 episodes. 13 episodes. And <laughs> it was not on long enough even, because Harley was a character, but she was still Harleen Quinzel. And okay. she did not even get a chance to go full crazy and become more of a criminal character by the time the show got canceled. But there was a Huntress character. The thing about Huntress, though, she was not the daughter of mobsters like she is in Birds of Prey the film. She was Helena Kyle, who was the daughter of Batman and Catwoman. Oh. Which was crazy. Interesting. Yeah. And... Huh. Instead of a proto-Batgirl younger character, Dina Meyer played Barbara Gordon as an adult, but she was Oracle, not Batgirl anymore, and she was uh, paraplegic um, and using a wheelchair. So it was Batgirl post getting shot by the Joker. Interesting. Wow. I'm looking it up right now and on IMDb, and the tagline, <laughs> the tagline <laughs> is... Batman's star goes bad, and it feels so good. <laughs> there was there was a little bit of this idea that Huntress was kind of supposed to be the the more roguish character, but not having a Harley Quinn other than this somewhat slightly emotionally unstable psychologist. Helena is seeing her as a, her therapist, basically. Okay, but I think Harley is supposed to already have been dating the Joker, but she's kind of secretly working on becoming evil, but she still looks like a more normal person. She's like blonde, but her hair is short and she wears little business suits and she's not the Harley that we see in the film. So, okay. Yeah. It's very strange. It's tonally very different, but it was supposed to be in the same continuity as Smallville. So, okay. Yeah. So like an early DC universe kind of thing. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Okay. Oh, I will say one other thing that's cute about it is that, I saw it on DVD, and the DVDs had these bonus cartoons called Gotham Girls that was Harley, Poison Ivy, and Catwoman hanging out, and they were so cute. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think I've tried to look that up before, but I, have you? I, I'll have to find a way to watch it. Yeah, see if it's on YouTube or something, because it's really cute. All right, cool. That was great. I love Birds of Prey, and I'm glad that you liked it too. And if people have more comic book recommendation stuff for us i personally would love that so hit us up and next time we're going to talk about science fiction romance novels and we'll also be watching the pilot episode of community our theme music is by joseph mcdade you can find me on twitter at carrie gessner and you can find me on twitter at kw taylor writer and you can find us together on twitter at pause pop podcast you can also email us at positivelypopculture at gmail.com Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>